Hi. Happy Easter. Yes. Which is what somebody at a gas station told me yesterday. Uh, and I said, oh, thanks. But, you know, as a godless heathen, I really don't care that much about Easter. Yeah. I only want the chocolate. Uh, the chocolate is good. Uh, you have to, when you get the chocolate bunny rabbits, you need to bite their ears off first so they can't hear their own screaming for the rest of the, <laughs> the thing. How you doing? The Atheist Experience. We are here live. I'm Matt Dillon. He joined me this week. Jen Peoples. Woo! And there's people on the other side of the glass who are going, woo! Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it is, in fact, uh, Easter. It's April 16th, 2017. Uh, this is a live program where we take calls from people. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. We talk about stuff. We get people, hopefully, potentially believers, to call in and talk about what they believe and why, uh, then determine whether or not we have good reason to agree or, or not. Yeah. Um, I don't even know why we bother doing this. I mean, why, why can't we just shut up? I mean, I know. I, why do we have to keep shoving our atheism in people's faces? Yeah. Why do we do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't planning to talk about religion at all uh, today until somebody decided that it would be important to wish me happy Easter. Yeah. I was I was going to talk about luchador wrestling or something like that. I never heard of it, but okay. It's funny because on Facebook, uh, a friend of mine posted an exchange he had where this. This uh, girl at a coffee shop was mm -hmm. basically saying, you know, oh, I, it's so nice to be Catholic, and I had this oh, Catholic yeah, experience, that. and, yeah. you know, I was at church, and some of my students were there, and they saw me, and they're, they're like, oh, you're Catholic? And she's like, of course I'm Catholic. Uh, and and my, my friend commented basically, well, I don't, I don't have that issue because I'm an atheist. And her response was, you know, why do you guys have to rub your atheism in everybody's <laughs> face? Like, holy crap. Yeah. And for this to happen right near Easter was yeah. was extra fun. Well, I guess the Catholics here in Austin did some kind of pilgrimage or something where they, like, walked nine miles with crosses and stuff. Like, I think maybe yesterday they did this or maybe Friday. I think it was Friday, actually, the Good Friday thing. Good Friday? Yeah. The Proclaimers did a lot more. They, they would walk 500 miles. That's right. And then 500 more. Yeah. But, uh, you know, clearly Catholics aren't as dedicated as, as a band. But. Yeah. So, welcome to the show. We've got a bunch of callers uh, waiting, but as usual, we're going to start by having a conversation about something, and this time, it might even have loose ties to Easter. Yeah, so child sacrifice Oh. in the Bible. So, uh, every time we get close to, like, Easter or something like that, people start bringing up all the um, examples of child sacrifice in the Bible, and of course, you know, Easter is kind of about this gruesome human sacrifice thing anyway. Where, you know, God supposedly sacrifices his own son for all the rest of us, even though we didn't ask for that. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I hear people talking about um, Abraham and Isaac and making the claim that uh, the fact that the angel stayed Abraham's hand at the last minute when he was going to kill Isaac means that this was a statement against child sacrifice in the Bible. Preposterous. Yeah. It reminds me, actually, um, when Paul in Philemon uh, basically writes, the, the entire letter to, to Philemon is that a slave has wronged Philemon and escaped and come to Paul and they've become friends. And Paul decides to send the slave back along with this letter basically saying, you know, hey, whatever he owes you, just put it on my account and uh, I'd, I'd really like it if you'd just let him go free. Well, that is not a, a statement against slavery in general. Right. That's somebody trying to lobby on behalf of their friend. And yet the Bible is so pro-slavery that whenever I have a discussion with somebody about, you know, what, what 
exists in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy with regard to slavery, uh, eventually they'll say, yes, but the New Testament changes all that. Really? Yeah. How, how does it? Oh, because Paul asked for his slave friend to be let go. <laughs> oh, 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 that's that's such a wonderful declaration of the inhumanity of owning people as property. Hey, would you let my buddy go? I'm going to send him back to you because I think sending the slave back is the right thing to do and then ask you to release him because yeah. now, like us, he's a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, advocating for your friend like that is not a broad statement about the inhumanity of, of owning another human. It's just being a minimally decent person towards somebody that's your friend. Yeah, it's, and the, you, you had more on the, the binding of Isaac and whether or not this is a, an, a, a statement against child sacrifice. Because it seems to me, if I was a god and I was going to write the Ten Commandments, I, it would be very easy for me to write, thou shalt not own another human being as property, and thou shalt one. not sacrifice your children. I mean, right. isn't that the only state? If you if a god can say, you know, don't wear mixed fabrics and don't eat mm-hmm. shellfish, certainly he can say, don't kill your kids and don't own people. Yeah. Yeah, if he can tell you to cut part of your penis off, he can probably tell you to not kill your kid, you know. I, I don't know. I, but, I mean, one of the other arguments that this is not a broad statement about human sacrifice or child sacrifice in particular um, actually gets to um, another holiday that's being ce- celebrated this week, which is Passover. Oh, God. Let's, let's kill all the kids. Yeah. Oh, the firstborn. The, firstborn. Just the firstborn. Yeah. Yes, because the 10th like and worst, yeah, like me, the 10th and worst plague uh, that befell uh, the Egyptian firstborn you know, was that they would die, you know. And so you had to slaughter a lamb and spread its blood on your doorpost, and then the, the angel of death or whatever would know to pass by this house and not kill your firstborn. And so, uh, I don't know, it's like. Well, it's, it, it, so the Passover celebration is, you know, the, the Jewish tradition of celebrating the fact that God didn't kill our firstborn. Right. But let's be honest, you're, you are also not in any way seem to be bothered by the fact that he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Right. Not the least of which, this struck me as odd, what kind of weird magic is this that the first fully formed child to exit a particular womb has some... <laughs> Some status, you know. Yeah. How many, how many, you know, maybe we shouldn't, maybe you're not the firstborn if, in fact, there were a number of miscarriages before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're living in a time where, you know, children died all the time, where there were complications with pregnancy or anything. What is this weird blood magic ritual that the first, the first kid out of your, your clown car uterus for the, uh, uh, the quiverful people who are yeah. pumping out kids at an incredible rate, uh, that they're somehow special and so special that the trick is to kill something else and put its blood all around yeah. so that God can't or won't uh, come and take your... F- I, I don't get it. Well, and it, it kind of gets back to this idea that um, within these sort of um, religions with these morally concerned gods, that you have to sacrifice something to the god. And the more important that something is, the greater the significance of the sacrifice. And for a lot of people, their firstborn child is, you know, like the most important thing ever. Um, certainly for, for most parents. Because um, it's the one that's going to take care of all the kids that come after it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, for parents, it's like, you know, yeah, this, you know, your firstborn child is a hugely emotional event. It's got great significance, and it doesn't mean you love your 
you know, subsequent children any less, but, you know, this is the thing that kind of starts you on your path to being a parent. As a message to my younger brother, yes, it does mean that your parents love you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so it does. I understand that there's a a significance to us. My my comment about this being some kind of magical thing, uh, firstborn children, first of all, they tended to be the older ones. They were the Mm -hmm. ones that could work, that could help out with the other things. So uh, it would seem to me that if you had an enemy, be it a god or whatever, who you knew was going to kill your firstborn children, um, you just like kill the first kid right off the bat so you get that mm-hmm. done with, and now your second one becomes the important one and you move on. Yeah. I mean, you kind of couldn't have which, been that attached to them. They're a couple days old. Which there's um, some, I guess, some evidence that that sort of child sacrifice was practiced quite a bit mm-hmm. in the ancient Near East. You know, the weird thing for me on child, you know, there, there's the passage uh, about. Um, you know, let's kill and eat your kid and blah, blah, blah. But there's also Jephthah and his daughter where right. he makes yeah. the deal with God that if you let me win this war, I'll sacrifice the, or this battle, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house when I get home. What the mm-hmm. heck else could it be other than his only daughter? Right. Uh, now, there are people who say he didn't actually kill her. Yeah. Well, uh, my reading of it is that he did what he said he would do. Yeah. That's what the Bible says, so I, I suspect he killed her. But the people who try to make excuses... We'll say that Jephthah turned her over to service in the church. Well, whoop de frickin' do. Yeah. What, where, where was her say in any of this? When did, when did she agree to become a, a slave or sex concubine to the temple? Hmm? Why, why isn't she considered in this deal? And the same thing applies to Abraham and Isaac. We talk about, you know, I grew up hearing how wonderful it was that Abraham was so fearful and devoted to God, mm-hmm. that he was willing to do anything God said, including giving up his son, who he absolutely loved. Well, there's really not much in there about um, Isaac and how traumatizing it must be to have your dad pack you off, tie you up, and get ready to stab you with a knife only for you know him to supposedly, supposedly stop. Um, I, I don't necessarily buy into the idea that yeah. That he killed him, and then we covered it up through revisions. It's not impossible. It's not like we have the originals. Uh, but this whole thing about a test. Yeah. When I was a kid, uh, I was like, why would God need to test anybody? Shouldn't God know? Yeah. And the answer, the apologetic, was this test wasn't for God's benefit. It was for Abraham's benefit, so that mm-hmm. Abraham would understand how devoted he was and should be to God and what benefits would come from it. Okay, fine. But if you read through there, the angel appears and and the angel says, I now know that you fear God, which Mm -hmm. makes it at best a test for that angel and not for God or Abraham. Well, and now I'm starting to be a little concerned about Abraham's moral standards because, I mean, you know, if if he wasn't like himself traumatized by what he was willing to do... (laughs) Well, it seems to me that the only... If God is opposed to child sacrifice... If Yahweh really is opposed to child sacrifice, Mm -hmm. then when Yahweh tells you to kill your kid, the only correct response is, depart from me, foul spirit, I don't know who you are, you cannot possibly be my God because my God is opposed to child sacrifice. But that's not what Abraham did. Abraham went with his understanding of God, which was that, yes, in fact, God can and would potentially ask you to kill your kid. And he was rewarded for that. Now, if I was the kind of God who was opposed to child sacrifice, and I said, sacrifice your kid, and my devout followers started to do it, I'd be, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. 
you should know. You should know me well enough to know that I'm opposed to that, and I would never ask that of you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a failed test all the way around. Meanwhile, we get to Easter. Yeah. Where, where God sacrifices his only begotten son. Right. For a weekend. Yeah. Um, to act as a loophole around rules that he's evidently responsible for. Um, what, none of this substitutionary atonement makes any sense. If Jen owes you money and I pay what she owes you, I have relinquished her debt. But if she punches you in the face and I say I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> I haven't done anything. Yeah, you know. So when we're talking about this well, notion of you know, you guys are so sinful that you made me kill my own son. No, you are. You did that. Yeah. You know? Well, and this idea of substitutionary atonement was so abhorrent to the founders of this country that we wrote it into the Constitution that you can't do that. There's no blood guilt, you know. Yeah. You can't um, you can't go to prison in place of, you know, someone else. Um, you basically you can't be made to pay a penalty for a crime that someone else committed. Yeah, and that when, when you dig through the Bible, you're punished to the fourth generation or the tenth right. generation, depending on which verses you. Yeah. Read. You kill somebody, your kids are going to pay. So today is the day um, that uh, Christians celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah. With absolutely no evidence to support the idea. Um, And I've debated the resurrection on a couple of different occasions. Uh, One of my interesting, one of the things that I find most interesting is to ask people to try to reconcile the different accounts in the Gospels. Now, in the last debate that I did on the resurrection, I debated Mike Lacona, and he never touched or mentioned the Gospels at all. He thinks that what Paul had to say is the best uh, evidence we have for the resurrection. Well, but Paul never said he even met Jesus. You know, I raised that point, and and I'll be talking about this in the debate review, and Mike's point was, how do you know? I think it's entirely possible that Paul might have met Jesus. And I'm like, wow. Uh, Has he actually read? Nowhere is there any any remote hint that that ever occurred. And don't you think that if Paul actually met Jesus, even if he was you know a mocker at one point, he would say, "I met this man when he was preaching in Galilee, and I mocked him, and now I've changed my mind." Of course, that's going to be mentioned. So it's it's preposterous. But when you look at the biblical accounts, one of the things that's problem that's a problem with the Bible is that you have the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. And they appear in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John order. Now, that's not the order in which they were written. Right. If instead you put them in the order that they were written, beginning with Mark and then continuing on with Luke and Matthew and then ending with John, which is, as far as I know by all scholars, the most probable order. Yeah. Um, What you see is a story where Paul basically just says, prior to the Gospels, because Paul was writing before this, he, he says Christ rose and appeared to people, including 500 people who we don't have any information about. We don't have any names. We don't have any way of looking into this. But he says some of them are still alive. Maybe you can go and find them type things. Um, and that's it. Paul's account doesn't mention an empty tomb or, or the discovery of this or any of the other details. Then you get to Mark. Uh, and Mark's account, which was written five to 30 years later. I mean, it's really hard to date these things. We don't know who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are just names that were plopped on by the church, which tend to give people in the pews the idea that, oh, these were written by eyewitnesses and people who were close to the events when there's no evidence that that's actually the case. Um, 
if you go back to the debate that I did uh, against Blake Junta, which you can find on YouTube, so I'm not going to repeat it, I go through each of the Gospels and where there's conflicts. You know, when did Jesus die? Did zombies rise up and march on Jerusalem? Who, who got to the temple first? Uh, what did they see? Did they see an angel? Did they see, was the rock already rolled away or not? Were there multiple angels? You know, what was the instruction? Who did they go and tell? Uh, because, you know, in Mark, uh, the stone has already moved out of the way. There was a, a young man inside wearing white. And uh, the women were afraid and didn't tell anyone. And that's where Mark ends at, uh, I think it's verse 15. Mark chapter 9, I think it's verse 15. And then, or maybe it's verse 8. And then 9 through 20, or 16 through 20. I think it's 9 through 20. This is what's been added on to Mark afterwards. Uh, somebody adds, yeah, verses 9 through 20 on. And what they added was uh, that their, verse 8 ended with no sign of Jesus. And the women not telling anybody. So let's completely reverse that in verses 9 and 10, where Mary then runs off to go tell the disciples. That, that is so strange that you can ignore everything else that the Bible has to say about the resurrection. And just look at the, verse, the, the ver- verses in the book of Mark, which was written first, and say, hey, it comes along, and they were afraid, and they told no one. And then the next two verses completely reverse that. I don't even know how that makes it, you know, into the modern era without being obvious. And if you open up uh, an NIV version of the Bible or anything along those uh, lines where there's where there's honest scholarship regarding these things, what you'll find is a note yeah. that basically says the oldest and best manuscripts of the book of Mark end at verse 8 and verses 9 through 20, uh, which also is where you get the snake handling stuff, how they mm-hmm. can drink poison and it's not going to hurt them. These yeah. were all added later. If that's the case, why are we still printing Bibles and handing them out to people in churches with these bizarre verses that reverse the position and then go on to say, now you must go tell everybody and you will know my people because they'll be able to handle snakes and drink poison and nothing can harm them and they'll, you know. That's so strange. Yeah. That, you know, somebody asked me the other day, uh, they were trying to read the Bible and they they kept getting stuck. It was just boring. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I get it. The begats are definitely boring. <laughs> uh, but there's other stuff. And they wanted a recommendation. And my first thought is, why do you care? Why is it that you're actually trying to right. read this? Is it because you worry that some theist is going to come up to you and say, have you read the Bible? And you want to be able to say yes. Because I can tell you that in most situations, that changes nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's the opening line. But it, whatever your answer is, have you read the it, it Bible? doesn't matter. Yes. Okay, how do you prove that? See, this is something where people have spent their entire lives studying it and trying to find new ways to interpret it and all this other stuff. Just saying you've read it, it doesn't tell us anything. And, and, and by the way, even if you convince them that you read it, what they're going to say is, well, you didn't understand it or you didn't read it yep. with an open heart. So they're going to come up with excuse yep. after excuse about how you could possibly read this and not accept it. So if that's the only reason, I wouldn't bother. Um, and you don't have to read it to study different aspects of it, like even just what I was pointing out with the Book of Mark. It's, if instead you're wanting to read it for understanding, if you're wanting to read it so that you can specifically, you know, counter it, prepare for a lot of work. This is, this is, you know, you're going to have to talk to a bunch of different apologists who are going to have their own interpretations and spin and be able to address why and how you don't agree with those things. Yeah, and in the meantime, there's there's a lot of... um 
scholars who've done, um, I guess, a more in-depth analysis of specific parts of the Bible. Um, there's one that I always recommend, um, and I'll have to think about it, but it was written by two Jewish scholars. That Is- Israel Finkelstein? Yeah. And I've forgotten the other one. Yeah, name. I can't remember the, Neil, um, something or other. Anyway, um, this one actually, it, it, the, these two guys are Jewish scholars, and they basically are saying, you know, that whole Exodus thing, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, central to their religious tradition. Um, and they're the ones saying, hey, this did not happen. There's no evidence. So, you know, it, the fact that it's Jewish scholars saying this tells me I probably should take that pretty seriously because they're kind of acting against their cultural interests, you know. The thing is, if they're wrong, how do we demonstrate that they're wrong? How, yeah. how do we go about finding out whether or not something thousands of years in the past actually happened in the way that we, the reports that we have now say it happened? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Doctor Who. I don't have a TARDIS or a time machine. Uh, all we can do is look at the reports and try to determine how reasonable the reports are. And as soon as you start looking at reports of miracle accounts of, mm-hmm. you know, that we have no reason to think that they're real, um, I think you've got to chuck it out. Yeah. And, and I, that was chuck it out, as in throw it out, not check it out. But I'm right. happy to, to have somebody try and investigate as best they can which is how you end up with people like Ron Wyatt, oh, who yeah. seems to think he finds Noah's Ark and, and ancient Egyptian chariot wheels uh, every other week or so. Yeah. Or, or did, and now it's just every other week he announces again the thing that he thinks yeah, the he thing, found 20 it, Yeah, years and ago. somebody keeps sending, uh, periodically we'll get an email from somebody saying, hey, how do you guys refute this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, this guy is like the Indiana Jones of the Seventh-day Adventists, except he has no background in archaeology or history or anything anything remotely credible that would allow him to go in and, you know, make these claims. It reminds me of all the people who used to sell, like, the, the this is a splinter from the actual yeah. cross. <laughs> yeah. You know, how do I know that? Well, I'm telling you, it's the case. Yeah. And it's carbon dated to be that old. Yeah. Oh. What about the two guys who were crucified on the other side of them? How do I know that splinter didn't come from one of them? Yeah. I, I only want it if it came from, you know, the stick Jesus was hanging <laughs> on. But So on that note, we're going to, I guess we'll go ahead and take some calls. Yeah, let's go. Uh, announcement-wise, after the show's over, we get together for dinner, and we're going to Star of India Restaurant, which they'll have the address. It's like 2900 West Anderson Lane. They'll put it up there at the bottom just as soon as they've heard me say it. Uh, and as far as my announcements go, um, I won't be here next week. I will be in Hickory, North Carolina at ReasonCon, um, along with some awesome people. I know uh, uh, Lawrence Krauss, Shelley Seagal, Aaron Ra, uh, Callie Wright. Woo! Uh, we'll all be down there having a good time, talking a bit. So that's, that's about as much self-promotion as I can actually stand. There's the address for Star of India Restaurant. And we'll start off with Caleb in Alabama. Thanks for waiting, and thanks for helping us with the phone check earlier. No problem at all. Hey, guys. Hey, Jen. Hey. Um, so, first, uh, happy Zombie Jesus Day to you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, uh, I always enjoy your, you guys when you discuss the canon and kind of how the Gospels were put together and ratified or whatnot, because that's actually what started my whole questioning. It, it led to my atheism. Eventually, I studied linguistics um, in college, and I speak Spanish and Portuguese, and during that process of language learning, which, you know, takes four or five sure. years, I started questioning, questioning all the, you know, different things that, that one considers to translate 
text into another language. And then again and again, I just thought, if it's this hard for me to translate from one language to the other, and then I learned a third language, and when you do that, you just kind of have this introspective realization that it's so difficult. Like, not everything translates, and not everything is so clean-cut, and to just assume that the, the Bible would be completely erroneous is just nuts. I, I've, spoken, um, I've spoken English my entire life, and will have problems communicating ideas to other native English speakers. Now, th- right. th- you don't have to, to know any, any language other than your own to recognize that there's always going to be problems in communication and that they must necessarily be compounded as soon as you start adding translations of other languages into it. Maybe that's just because you don't speak King James, Matt. It, yeah, that could be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I fully admit that when I uh, read um, Shakespeare, I'm lost on, on quite a bit right. of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, language evolved. There's no reason we should be looking at a King James text. But anyway, um, so yeah, my, my name is Caleb. I was going to start with a riddle. Uh, can you guess my older brother's name? Your name is Caleb? Uh-huh. Can you guess my older brother's name? I'm from Alabama. Yeah, I, I, I would have guessed Seth, but I, th- I think that's wrong. I, I'm not. Uh, Caleb and Joshua are the brothers. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Joshua. yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Joshua and Caleb, and then I also have a sister named Grace. So oh. that should kind of give you an idea of the gravity of my situation. I wanted to kind of share with you. I um, basically I've I've always lived in Alabama, the land of cotton and home of the philandering governor, which we just got rid of, and um, Judge Roy Moore. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're all they're all off the books finally, but um. Alabama, so, imagine, the, whose uh-huh. motto should be, we're glad Kansas exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's Mississippi, but yeah, yeah. Like Kansas. Substitute any of those that we can point at. Um, but yeah, so imagine every stereotype of a Southern Baptist from Alabama and apply all those. Now multiply them times the fact that my mother's father was the preacher of the church I grew up in and the church was across the street from the high school where he was also the football coach. Oh. So that that should really <laughs> lay out the environment. Yeah, you're, you're in pretty deep. Point. Yeah, a little bit incestuous yeah. there. <laughs> it can be. I've, Theologically I've speaking. That, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> so I just wanted to set that up because I, I wanted to talk about my um, my mother and kind of her transition or possible transition over the last six months or so. Um it's just been a really interesting development, and, and I guess through my own transition of theism to atheism, I observed some things, and I, I've made it kind of a challenge to myself to, I don't know, not to force my parents to think a different way, but they had to deal with my coming out um, as gay over the last 10 years or so, and just that evolution alone has, has really just brought all these kind of observations um, and I wanted to see what I could do as far as letting them know about my atheism, which I did about a year ago. And it's just been really incredible because it's been a very similar transition of watching them come to terms and ask questions. Um, and so I, I mentioned my, my grandfather because that, that's her father. So we're talking about a preacher's daughter here. And um, I don't know. In a nutshell, we've been talking about this for like six months, and I'm actually here um, visiting um, Alabama today, we went to Easter Sunday service, kind of as a 
I guess, a test this morning, which was enjoyable. You didn't catch but, fire? Uh, I was going to say, the, the, and the, the building didn't burn down or anything when you walked in the door? <laughs> no. No lightning struck? I, you know, or, I, I carried a, a cross just to, yeah. just to fool everyone. But, no, it was, it was fine. It was interesting from my point of view. It's the first time I've been in a church since I had declared to myself that I was um, atheist. So I, I actually enjoyed it. I was afraid. There's this weird, like, looming fear of, like, you know, growing up in that environment and being so used to the way the services are run, I was like, what happens if I walk in and everything's so familiar and I get the get the Holy Spirit? <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen. I actually kind of sat back and just, not really laughed, but I was just like, wow, this is so strange and so cultish and so, I don't know, it's a weird feeling. But um, it's a very it's a very different feeling. I mean, um, shortly after I was, you know, publicly an atheist, I, I went to I went to a church because I was invited, and I I had you know in the back of my head you know oh oh what's going to happen you know how's this going to go, and right. I had had a similar experience when I talked to a a religious relative of mine. I was like oh here comes you know the real test they're going to you know, I, I hear I think I got it all sorted out and, and I don't believe anymore and they're going to say this one thing and it's all going to come crashing down and I'm going to believe again. And it was, it was, it was an absolutely embarrassing performance on their part where they just, you know, started with Pascal's wager and went down, which is really difficult to do. Um, right. And then it became, there was a period where going into churches was, um, weird, but not with any real concern that I was, you know, going to, get the Holy Ghost or anything like that. It was, you know, I, I, I'm kind of intruding. You know, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I don't... I'm yeah, happy, like a voyeur a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy to have the conversations, but, you know, I support religious freedom, and I'm not walking into churches to, you know, create a disturbance or anything. And now, when I go into churches, I'm thrilled, because uh, usually it's for a debate or some similar discussion or, or somebody may be testing me, uh, you know, Hey, well, you haven't been to my church, so come to my church and let's see what happens. And you know, yeah. when I'm on many occasions, I'm able to to successfully predict everything that, that's going to happen because uh, oh, yeah, church services are so ritualized; it's kind of painfully obvious. Yeah, speaking, I mean, there is there's definitely a um, a criteria or kind of a script that that is followed, and I learned that also just to get back to um, the the whole ordeal with mom is when I started talking to her about all of this and kind of explaining where I was coming from, it's funny because I had been watching you guys' show for, for maybe a year and a half, two years now, and um, the things that she would come out with, I would start laughing, and she would get upset, and I didn't want to upset. I don't, I don't want to offend her. I want to be as respectful as possible, but she didn't understand I was laughing because the arguments that she would come back with um, would always be stuff that people call into your show and say. Yep. And it's also, it's almost like everybody has the same script and the same silly arguments, and they don't realize how convoluted they are. And I just would, I would just laugh and then try to say, no, 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 I just, I've heard this before, and this is, you know, this is what I think. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons we do the show. I mean, frankly, you know, there are some really, really bad arguments for right. people holding the beliefs they do. And so sure. sometimes exposing that on the show even if it doesn't help the theist who's advancing those beliefs, it helps someone else who's watching. And it sounds yeah, like it may exactly. have helped you along your path. 
Absolutely, and I really appreciate that. That's one of the reasons I called. But I just wanted to wrap this up real quick because I had just two little points I wanted to get to. I know you guys want to get to some theistic callers. But um, so, I mean, basically, I just don't want anyone that is listening and can identify with what I'm talking about. Maybe they're from the Southeast, they grew up Southern Baptist, whatever. But I, I just don't want it to appear by kind of setting this up the way I grew up that there's only these few crazy fundamentalist Westboro Baptist churches. It's it's very common. And I can, what's what's funny, I can distinctly remember um, growing up, we had some family friends, my brother played ball with um, this guy and his mom and my mom were friends. And I can remember my mother to my father, like on Sunday lunch, they would bring up their family and talk about them like they were funny or strange because they were a church of Christ, which have a few differentiating um, parts of their doctrine. Like um, if you commit suicide, you go to hell or um, you can lose your salvation if you turn away from God, which is something you can't do in the Baptist church. And and she would call them a cult. <laughs> just always, yeah. like in, in, in retrospect, I'm like, it's so strange because once you're, when you're inside that little version of your beliefs, you think everything else looks weird or strange or cultish, like it's Scientology or something. But the, the differences are so small when you step outside of it. I mean, it's just, it's just not as big a deal. I know. I, I keep having this, like, you know, fantasy that the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to knock on my door at the same time, and we can all go out <laughs> on the porch and have a conversation, and I can there you go. <laughs> get them talking about who's a cult. Oh man! So, well, um, so good luck yeah, with yeah. the rest of the process, and feel free to you know call back and let us know if things are improving. I'm I'm always concerned, you know, when people start talking about their coming out stories, uh, right. both with regard to religion and sexuality. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see how different families deal with it. It's one of those things where, it, in many cases, it becomes a way to test, at that moment, do they love their kid more or do mm-hmm. they love their religion more? And the good news is that I, I'm convinced that in many, many, if not most situations, Ultimately, their love for their kid will win out over yeah. the love for the religion. It doesn't mean they're going to give it up. Right. But, sure. you know, like I've talked about with my relationship with my parents, everything's fine. It's not the normal that it used to be because, you know, they think I'm working for Satan. But somehow they're, they're right. okay with that. Uh, they'd rather spend time with I, me than not. Right. Yeah. I've heard you say that before, Matt. I just, I'm curious about your, and I'm, I'm, you may just point me to another video or another talk where you've gone through this, but as far as your relationship, when you sat down and you tried to lay it out logically, what, what happened? Were there, were there the same arguments or they just said, no, we can't even discuss this? Or how did they react? Because I figure you're a much better debater than I am, and it's taken me a year, and I'm just now getting mom to like a deistic view. And so I don't know how long that'll, you know, marinate, but. It, it may it may marinate forever. She, you know, I, the people aren't. There's no guarantee you're going to convince people to give it up, and that wasn't my goal. Um, there's okay. been almost no conversations about the specifics of religion. There were a couple of quick back and forths that got shut down, um, and then my mom tried on one occasion by sending me a lengthy email, and I replied to it as if she wasn't my mother. There was no kid gloves. It right. was just. Yeah, this is irrational, this is irrational, this is irrational. You know, here's a fallacy, 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 this is immoral, boom, 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 boom. And I just click send, and I figured, oh, I just, you know, ended my relationship yeah. with my mother. Um, but she wrote back, and 
and it says a lot about how people process things. And she was like, oh, I had all those same concerns, and then Jesus fixed it all. I mean, that was the sum total of the thought behind the response. And then um, my dad forbid her to ever speak to me about religion again. And wow. while I absolutely, I've talked before about how much that pisses me off, that, uh, you know, first of all, I don't give a damn about this, you know, man is the head of the household, yeah. Christ is the head of the church stuff. The idea that, that, right. that my dad could ever forbid my mom to speak t- to me about anything uh, is absolutely repugnant. On the other hand, we all still get along and we talk, and I know the, the how and why behind why they're not uh, willing to discuss this. They've acknowledged that they're not going to change their mind. They are closed-minded, and, and that's fine. I, I mean, it's not fine in the sense that I, I certainly wish things were different. Um, but my goal yeah. is not to, you know, change everybody's mind uh, when they've expressed a desire to not engage. So I, I don't have a right to have a conversation with somebody about a topic they don't want to talk about. So yeah. that, that's why we take calls instead of making calls. Gotcha. That's so interesting, though, that you were able to kind of resign. For some reason, I can't, I don't know, I can't just, like, give it up. And maybe it's because there's this whole um, level of the gay thing that happened first. And, like, I think part of that just kind of lingers because, you know, especially the Southern Baptist, you know, the gays go to hell, and I think Mama's worked through that. And so she eliminated hell. Hell doesn't exist for her anymore. So she has her own little um apostatized version of God and heaven and how you get there. And yeah, you're, you're, just, you are winning out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But um, lastly, let me just mention, I, I would like to encourage anyone that is, you know, from where I'm from or can identify, just be be patient because I never, ever expected that we would take this little preacher's daughter, mother that, like you said, bowed down to her husband and couldn't think for herself, is going through this transition and I'm so excited for her and excited for that relationship. And um, I want to say, be careful, because I've watched myself hurt her and disrespect her in ways that I never intended to. But when someone has this ideology, and it's from birth, it's indoctrinated from birth, and you have an overbearing family, whatever, you have to be considerate of that it's everything. It's everything they believe in, everything that they know. And I... um, I don't know. I've, I've kind of learned through this experience to kind of tiptoe a little bit and be really considerate and patient because the last thing you want to do is just make them feel like they're number one, stupid, or, you know, number two, just, um, I don't know, just disrespected. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And thank you guys for everything that you do. It's so important what you do. I just want you to know that I've, I've watched you for almost two years now and you've really helped me with as far as just kind of from from dogma to you know good good questions and rebuttals to to Christians and just help me figure it all out. I appreciate it. Thanks so right. much for saying Thank so, Taylor. Appreciate it. Thank all right, guys, take care. Take care. I don't know if you had stuff to add on that. Well, no, just the, this idea that you know he came out as gay and then he later had to come out as an atheist. Yeah. And I've talked to so many um, gay people at Pride, for example, who they're they're atheists. But they're attached to some religion like, you know, Baptist or, or, you know, something that's very dogmatic in their views about, you know, what happens to gay people and everything. And their, their whole thing is, well, you know, I already came out as gay and it nearly killed my, pam- my family. And, 
you know, I can't do this to them as if, you know, their being an atheist is something that they would be doing to their family in some way. So they, they just, uh, they keep their atheism a secret because, uh, they feel like they can't, they can't put that additional burden on their family. And I think that's kind of sad. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, these, I, I'm all in favor of remembering that you're talking to real people. And certainly mm-hmm. I'm not going to fault anybody for, you know, taking it easy on family members. I, I definitely do, apart from that one, right. that one particular yeah. email. Um, it, it's, the, what I'm going to talk about it, uh, this week at, at, at ReasonCon has to do a little bit with that, about both the, you know, should I bother reading the Bible or this idea about uh, professional apologists versus people in the pews and, and trying to get people to remember um, who they're potentially talking to. And uh, But I'll save that for, for North Carolina. Um, we've got Don in Boston. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Hello. How are you, Hello. Don? All right. Thanks for taking my call. Um, and I enjoyed your show over the years. Thanks. Um, the issue I wanted to bring up is that uh, theism, you know, isn't a problem itself any more than using the analogy of homosexuality. Um, theism is no more a problem than homosexuality, and it's a way to use that analogy to, for both theists and atheists to think about. So I don't, I don't, under, well, yeah, I'm not. it's not that I don't understand, it's that I don't agree. Theism is the acceptance of the proposition that a God exists. If, right. in, if in fact a God doesn't exist, that's a problem. Homosexuality is about who you're sexually attracted to, and that's just true. Yeah, but it could be my life works better when I'm attracted to the same sex, and it could be my life works better when I believe in a God. Okay, but I'm concerned about whether or not it's true, not whether or not your life works better with it. Because if it's not if it's not true that there is a God, and your life is better if you believe in a God, then whatever's happening to make your life better has nothing to do with that God. And if we can discover what it is that's making your life better, then that means we can remove that God belief and deal with the thing that's actually making your life better. Well, that sounds like, uh, you know, theism conversion therapy. No, it's... it's I, I'm not. I'm not rounding up theists and, and and telling them that they are wrong and bad and that they need to give this up. I'm trying to find out whether or not it is true that a God exists. And the people who keep telling me it's true, absolutely, utterly, consistently fail to demonstrate any good reason to believe it. And and the and oh. as as partial evidence for this is right off the bat. You're you're not talking about whether or not it's true. You're talking about whether or not it makes you feel good or makes your life better. Yeah, and I think that's important for both theists and atheists to understand about one another, that they're doing something that makes their life work better for them. My, my, the, position, yeah. my position on a God has nothing to do with whether or not it makes my life better. I, well, I think, it, I think it does for people. Well, you're, like well, some, uh, no, wait a minute. There, there's an awful lot of people out there that their life would actually be a little easier if they just believed in a god because being an atheist um well in some parts of the world it would get you killed so i mean it's uh, well, it's not it, about what works better or makes your life better it's about whether you're convinced that a claim 
that a God exists is true or not? Well, I'm talking about, uh, I can't remember the scientist's name, but there's a couple of famous ones that, uh, that are theists. And, what, di- what difference does you know, that make? Yeah. Well, that, that they, they obviously, you're trying to point out there's a problem in believing something that whether it's true or not. And yeah. I, I think they're, they would say, well, it, it's good. For, I feel better, just like a gay person feels better being with the same sex. No, no, no. no, 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 no. It's, more like, it's more like how an alcoholic feels better when they're drunk. What's wrong with being drunk? Well, for one thing, your brain doesn't work correctly. You're likely to make bad decisions, and if you are actually addicted to alcohol, you don't actually feel better. You just are convinced that you feel better. Uh, in many cases, because you, you are you, you should drink away the pain. Let's say, let's say you just get a buzz off of the atheism. You're not you're not a problem. Atheism isn't it's, a thing that I could possibly get a buzz off of. Yeah. I am not convinced. Oh, I, I am. I am not convinced that a God exists. That's it. It is. It is a position about whether or not I am convinced that a claim is true. I don't get any more of a buzz off of of not believing in a God than I do about not believing in Bigfoot or Loch Ness monsters. Well, what about the the if you could predict people's predisposition for theism or atheism based on something, some brain analysis, something physical, I, and and so you could say, well, this person is destined to more likely, just like more likely to be gay or straight, you could probably predict that, probably even political uh, right or left leaning, you could probably eventually predict that. So how, how does that, if someone, how is that relevant to whether yeah. or not the claim is true? Because if someone's brain is structured such that if you could predict that they're going to their life is they're going to be they're more likely going to be theists and they seem to be happy that way just the same way a gay person I asked is happy. how this is relevant to whether or not it's true Yeah I I I'm, I'm making a distinction that it doesn't matter Do you care do, do you yes. care whether or not the claim is true On on a god claim Yes I think I think uh it's it's i would just jump to you you can't prove it yes or no okay no no that's not the answer to the question wow so earlier when i said i have difficulty communicating with people who also speak english the question was do you care about whether or not the god claim is true no i don't think then we're done thanks for wasting my time because i don't care if your primary concern is whether or not it makes you feel good um, that is an absolute, that is a position that says, I don't give a damn about reality and truth. I only care about what I think, uh, which means there's no point in having a conversation because there's absolutely nothing anybody could say that's going to get you over that until you actually start to care about whether or not something's true. Uh, well, and there's one thing in particular he, he brought up about if you could predict that someone was predisposed to believe, you know, wouldn't that be good? And, that's that's a, such a bizarre claim. It's it's almost absurd because if people were predisposed to some kind of religious fervor for some reason, then then religions wouldn't have to spend so much time and effort indoctrinating people from birth. You know, you would just hit the age of reason and they would click and yeah, you'd be there. You also wouldn't have sincere believers or former pastors right. um, who give it up for 
you know, well, but let's say for a second that we could do some yeah. kind of brain analysis and determine that Matt is more likely to become a theist than Jen is. What have we learned? Have we learned anything at all about whether or not a God exists? Have we even begun to examine whether or not it's reasonable to believe this? Or have we just learned that some people are more prone to certain types of mistakes in thinking than others? Which magicians have known for centuries. There are times when I have to get a volunteer <laughs> up on stage, and uh, I'm, many times I'm, I'm happy to have random volunteers. Other times I want to specifically pick somebody. Uh, and the goal is to pick somebody who you think is going to be fun and entertaining and cooperative on stage. The, you, you don't necessarily pick the you know asshole dude who was just shouting out, oh, I saw what he did. You don't pick that person to come up on stage. Mm-hmm. This is not magic. This is not some uh, advanced brain monitoring thing. This is just human beings being able to look at people and evaluate their actions and their body language and things like that to say, you know what, I think this person's likely to be a better volunteer than this. We can do the same thing. If it turns, I think what you find, if it turned out you could evaluate it, is that we are all flawed thinkers who have the likelihood of accepting propositions under the right conditions. Like, I don't know, being raised in a family that all believe the same thing and raise you from childhood to believe that. Yeah. It, you know. But in any case, it doesn't get us to whether or not the proposition is true. And if you don't care whether it's true, then I don't see what, what we have to spend any time on this show discussing it. Uh, because you might as well be calling me to say, I'm convinced that there are underwear gnomes who break in at night and steal my underwear. And I don't care whether or not it's true. This belief makes me feel good. Well, thanks for that. I mean, there was, there was, uh, I, I didn't get to see the show, but Tracy and Phil were on and there was, they had said something critical about logical arguments about how it was verbal masturbation or something. And I haven't seen it, so I can't fully address it, but I, I fundamentally disagree with that line of thought because arguments are how we reason about everything. And the question is, are the premises supported by evidence? Do we have right. good reason to accept them? If somebody just says, I don't care about the truth, about pathways to a truth, about what methods we should use to tell whether or not something's likely to be true, don't call the show because I'm not interested. I have no interest. There's this idea that, oh, well, it's true for me. No, it's not. (laughs) Truth is that which comports to reality. It, It may be true that you are convinced of this, but whether or not what you are convinced of is true is the part that I care about. And I don't care, you talk about verbal masturbation, calling in to talk about how you, I'm convinced of this, and I don't really care if this is true. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the true verbal masturbation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, my, com- my complaint with people advancing arguments and saying, oh, you know, and then you come back and you say, well, you know, your, your uh, premises are faulty or whatever, and, you know, where's your evidence? Yep. And they're like, well, my argument is my evidence. Yeah. No, no, your argument is not your evidence. Your argument is your argument. Yes. <laughs> you need to connect that to the evidence. And yeah, if, if you present an argument and I say, okay, it's invalid in structure, so therefore we throw it out. If you don't yeah. understand that, you need to go take a course or read some more on logic about how an invalid argument is utterly useless because true premises might or might not lead to a true conclusion. So you need a valid structure for your argument. Mm-hmm. Then the next question is, do you accept the premises? Not... Are the premises true? But do you accept them? Because if you accept the premises of a valid argument and reject the conclusion, you are definitionally irrational Mm -hmm. in that scenario. The next question is, I accept the premises, 
or I reject the premises? Do we have a way of finding out whether or not they're actually true? Do we have a way of finding out whether or not I should accept them? That's where caring about truth comes in. Yeah. And that call was not going to get us anywhere. Nope. Uh, So we got, uh, oh, this will be perhaps even more interesting. Jimmy in San Antonio, thanks for waiting. Are you there? Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm confused because normally they list uh, next to each name, whether it's a theist or an atheist, so we can give priority to theists. And next to yours, it says neither, and that's not possible. So I'm... I'm... Well, we spoke about that last time, man. Um, I was trying to explain to you the view of perennial philosophy. And, I mean, it is an alternative view from atheism and theism. Okay, but I'm just talking about raw logic. If theism is the belief that a God exists, and atheism is the absence of that belief or not being convinced, theists are... Yeah, no, you you tried to tell me that last time. And uh, and what I was trying to explain to you, I understand that point of raw logic, except it's only applicable depending on how you define atheism. No, No. it's, it's it's applicable depending on how you define theism. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I meant to say theism. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, are, I, I, are I, I, you? How you are you? God. Are you a theist? Do you believe that a god exists? Well, man, maybe you can tell me, man, because I, I, as far as I can discern this, I can't tell you what you. I can't tell you what you believe. It's a simple question. Are you in well, fact? No, I, 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 well, let I me finish. To... Are you in fact convinced that a god exists? Um. Why? Well, I think uh, perennialism is an entirely different take on that. This is a yes or no question. Yeah, it's it's a binary thing. It's yes or no. Are you convinced that a God exists? It doesn't even matter what how you define God. I'm just trying to find out, are you convinced Can that I a God exists? Can I define perennialism for you? I'm asking about a God. Uh, well, uh, that's, well, that's why I disagree. I think it's irrelevant. I think if I, if I were to ask you, do you believe that the Loch Ness Monster exists, would you be trying to define some alternate views on... On Loch Ness no, monsters? Because, because Loch Ness is more concretely defined than God. Well, okay. All I'm asking is, do you believe that any God, under any definition, is real? Um, I see that's where I have an issue, man. Like, if you understand, could I tell you what perennialism is, and then maybe you could decide whether it's. I, I'm not you know? the one. Okay, I'm not the one who, who's going to decide whether or not you believe. Uh, I don't understand why you're yeah, having such. A, a I, I, I don't understand why you're not let me finish a fucking sentence first of all. But I also don't understand okay. why you're having such difficulty. Under whatever definition of God you want, pick any, make one up. Are there any definitions for God under which you are actually convinced that that God is real? Um, sure, I guess you can put it that way. And sure. If, if now, that's the case, in theism. Now the follow-up question to that is. What definition of God are you saying is real? Um, all right. So uh, the view of perennial philosophy is that all major religions are based in mysticism. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> why why well, is it I you mean, can't answer the question? Uh, you just well, acknowledge you just acknowledge that you believe some God exists, and now I'm asking you define that God that you just told me you believe exists. I am defining it. No, you're uh, not. I, I think... I, well, I mean, man, you don't even finish that. Um, you don't define I, a god by saying there's this notion that all religions point to some god that is real. I want to know what the definition Go ahead. Well, okay. Well, the idea behind perennial philosophy is that all religion is based in mysticism, and all these terms like God, Allah, Brahman 
are all different ways to reference the mystical mystical experience uh, uttered by mystics all across times and cultures and, you know, different times and places, but essentially referring to the same universal alternate state of consciousness. That is exactly what I just said, only you took twice as long to say it. Okay. <laughs> then I mean, all religions well, I mean, point I, to this to some true God. That's exactly what you just said. Well, it's not perennialism is not a theist position though. It's more of a perspective on religion. Okay, but you acknowledge that there is a definition for God under which you are convinced that God exists. And I'm asking what is that definition? Um, well, if you want to consider it a theist position, then yes, I mean, it's referring, each religion is referring in different ways to the mystical altered state. I don't care what different religions are doing. I'm asking you, well, that's the Jimmy, definition of God. what definition of God did you just say that you believe? I, I adhere to perennialism, so that's the definition of God. In that's fact, not a definition of God. <laughs> well, um, sorry. I, I read up on it, man. Like, uh, I, Jimmy, I, I, I don't, I don't, Jimmy, I don't binary in the way. Jimmy, you said you believe yeah. in a God, and I'm asking you which God. Uh, well, according to perennial philosophy, there is no particular. Like uh, each each uh, utterance from each religion are different ways of describing one and the same thing. So, how do you describe God? I, I adhere to that. I, I believe that there is a mystical experience that we're all Why? we all have the potential to experience. Because I, I mean, it's I've I've had one myself, and then okay. But how do you know that scientifically? How do you know that your the thing that you're labeling a, labeling a mystical experience? is in fact real and points to something that is truly divine in nature. There's been uh, peer-reviewed studies on it. No, there fucking hasn't. No, there has. Science can't investigate the mystical to confirm that it is in fact mystical. What, no, they can do, uh, actually, what they can do, what they can do is explore individuals' brains and experiences and determine whether or not they're having some experience, but you're labeling, labeling that experience mystical and going down the road of perennial philosophy or theology to say that this mystical experience represents the God that exists that you're willing to accept exists. And that's something um, that science um, can't confirm. No, um, actually, I was on with you last time with Tracy, and I think she said it. She articulated it very nicely. I like the way she put it. She said, um, see, these people that these scientists, these neuroscientists that are investigating this altered state have used this label mystical experience. I know it has connotations to it, but what they're referring to is a specific altered state. And what Tracy said is that they're reaching back to how it's been traditionally described throughout the major religions and history, and now they're saying that they, we, we can, they can reproduce it. So I don't care that somebody describes something as mystical. What I care is, is it in fact mystical? Is it pointing to some supernatural, divine, uh, divine, transcendent thing that you are willing to label as God? Well, I mean, I'm, again, I, with Tracy, I'm, I'm on. I mean, I'm on oh, band with what she said. She's. Uh, <laughs> she was saying. It is a natural altered state, but pre-scientifically, you know, if you refer to these mystics who lived long ago, they refer to it in such a way like Brahman or Nirvana, Satori. I don't uh, care how—why why is this so hard to understand, Jimmy? There's a whole bunch of people who have had experiences. What I care is the, about is the truth of those experiences, not how they labeled it or what they thought was happening. I, I care about that, too. Then, okay, then let's get to the truth of those experiences. 
Stop pointing back sure. and saying they labeled them mystical or whatever else. What is the truth of those experiences? Well, it's um, what they found and these neuroscientists have found is that there's universal characteristics. It's something that you can experience if you, in fact, there's considering the possibility at Johns Hopkins to recruiting confirmed atheists. Jimmy, I can get fans. high. That doesn't tell me if the hallucinations I have when it's I'm high are real. High. We, we've been over this last time. When Jimmy, this is an analogy. I'm talking about an experience. I can have an experience that is independent of whether or not my interpretation of that experience is accurate. Well, we, we discussed this last time. I Good, then we're done this time, too. I'm not, I don't see the need to keep going over the stuff we went over last time. If you're willing to say, oh, yes, there's some definition of a God that, that I think is real, but then unable to define it and going on about how, oh, this view is that all these people who've had mystical experiences, how do you know they're mystical experiences? You can't just start injecting stuff and say, oh, this is mystical. This is mystical. No. Well, and it kind of reminds me of the what the people that write this periodically talking about DMT. Yeah. It's about, you know, it's like they talk about this and then and they act like it's some new discovery. It's like people have known about DMT for a long time. And peyote and mushrooms and acid and, and, you know. Okay, so there's all kinds of drugs that can induce altered uh, states and experiences, and I'm mm-hmm. fine with the fact that these experiences are real because I've had them. But the experiences are something that I've had, but that doesn't mean that if I interpret it, that when I got high, I touched God, yeah. that I'm correct. Yeah. Oh, well, we don't have to have drugs to induce them. Fine, I don't give a damn how they were induced. Here is a person, a thinking agent, who has experiences in regular life. I'm looking out, I see glass, I see people on the other side of the glass, I see cameras. There are ways for me to find out whether or not what I'm experiencing is accurate, or as accurate as we can tell, independent. Jen, do you see people on the other side of the glass? Uh, I do. Cool. That's step one. Then we could go out and talk to them, we could get independent verification. They're waving at us. Well, yeah. See, oh my gosh. Maybe Maybe they're waving at the people in the glass. Oh. Oh. How do I know that this reflection of me isn't actually a me from an alternate universe? This I, people get in, in, entrenched in this idea that DMT, drugs, whatever, get you, point you to some truth about reality. Yeah. They do the same thing with near-death experiences. They do the same thing with meditation and other things where you seem to have an experience that doesn't necessarily mesh with reality. There's two options. Uh, there are more than two options, but there's two options that we're concerned about here. Your interpretation of that experience is either accurate or not. All I care about is whether or not your interpretation is accurate. And if you have no way of demonstrating that, if all you're going to do is say, look, there's this consistency experience across you know, con- contemplatives uh, throughout history where they've had... Um, you know, they, they felt one with the universe. Well, I don't give a rat's ass if you feel one with the universe. I'd like to know whether or not you're actually one with yeah. the universe. <laughs> and until you can demonstrate that, the rest of it is we're right back to not just verbal masturbation, mental masturbation. This is, ooh, this is why people get high. To feel something apart from reality. But as soon as you start saying that this is now true, that we've touched on something truth, you now adopted a burden of proof. And if you want to say it's God, 
fine. Then when I ask if you believe in God, you can say, yes, I believe in God. And my definition of God is that oneness sensation that we feel under this condition. How freaking hard was that? If that's what you're actually, you know, if how could you possibly say you accept something, but it's so ill-defined and not understood? Then you don't accept it. And I'm now I'm spitting, so. Oh, well. Spitting, spitting mad. I'm actually not mad. It's just so frustrating because yeah. the, the question that was listed there was, that we didn't quite get to, is have we ever considered using the methods of hunter-gatherer societies to explore, explore spirituality? Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, why would we do that? Why would we like, use the understanding of a preliterate society to explore a truth claim? Yeah, this is predicated on the notion that that is popular amongst all sorts of alternative medicines. Yeah. That ancient peoples had access to some aspect of the truth that we have long forgotten. Ancient wisdom. It is. That has been lost. Maybe they got it from the ancient aliens. We ate some GMOs and we lost our ancient wisdom. Oh, no. Our souls have been consumed by high fructose corn syrup. (laughs) You first need to demonstrate that there is some good reason to think that these ancient people were onto something. I'm not saying that they weren't. I'm not saying it's impossible. But you need to demonstrate that they were. Not just, hey, let's go exploring. I'm fine with exploring. But I like to, I have a limited amount of time on this planet. I'd like to explore things where we have some reasonable expectation that we're going to find a result. Even a negative result. Even, yep, these people were full of crap. You know, (laughs) that'd be a good one. But what people are proposing are unfalsifiable propositions that are all about personal experience and how one feels, and we have no way of confirming. And, oh, but it's peer-reviewed. No, no, no. The peer review was on people having and describing experiences, not on whether or not their descriptions of those experiences were accurate. But uh, Alex in Colorado, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm a theist. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask why you don't believe in God. Um, Well, first of all, I I guess we could start with which God, but basically for every God that someone has presented, I have seen insufficient evidence to warrant belief. Okay. Um, What evidence, though? I have seen insufficient evidence to warrant belief in any of the God propositions. Well, what if belief is based on faith? Then I have no use for it because you can believe anything on faith. I can believe that you're a better person than me and take it just on faith. I can believe that I'm a better person than you than take it just on faith. Faith is not a pathway. But we all believe something on faith. Okay, so first of all, I don't necessarily uh, think that that's correct depending on how we want to define faith. But if you're saying that evidence is is in is not sufficient but yet you should believe on faith then that type of faith that you're describing belief in the absence of evidence or in the face of evidence to the contrary uh i have no use for that because it's not a pathway to truth there's there's nothing you couldn't justify with that kind of faith but you believe in things without evidence as well what do i believe in that i don't have evidence for um like the past you know that the world's real. I, I have a direct. I have a direct experience of the past. My belief is not that. It, my belief is not. 
the past actually occurred. My belief is I have a, an experience and recollection of the past independent of whether it actually occurred. And I say the same thing about God. You say the same thing about God. I have a direct experience of God, just like you can't prove the past is real, but you have a direct experience of it. So, you, so which God are you claiming that you have a direct experience with? Well, it doesn't really matter for this point, but... Okay. Yeah, okay. Like, like we all believe something on faith, right? You don't have any evidence so, that the so world So you have a direct experience with what you're calling I, God, and therefore you believe. I have mountains of evidence that, that, that the world is real. You're basically trying to go down this path that if we believe something in the absence of absolute certainty, which I would say there's no path to absolute certainty, right. that then we are exercising faith. And my response to that is... No, that's not what I'm doing. You're defining my position as something it's not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you don't have any any, any evidence whatsoever when it comes down to it. Like when we talk about... What, I don't what, have any evidence for what, what when it comes down to it. For the world being real. So you would say ex- your experience, experience of it, but you can't prove that your experience of... Okay, go ahead. Okay, so basically you're talking about the problem of hard solipsism. How do I de- demonstrate or how do I understand that the world is in fact real? And all I can say is that I experience it and evidently so does everybody else around me. And I say the same thing about God, then. I don't. No, because everybody else around you doesn't experience God. How do you know that? Because I'm around you, and I don't experience God. Check me. <laughs> right, but, but what if my experience of God tells me that it's not true, just like your experience of the world tells you something about the world being real? That sure. You can't that, that's where we step outside of the individual's opinions and assessments about whether or not they're evaluating reality, and you go to independent confirmation. This is why science doesn't just rely on, hey, I saw this happen, and here's my interpretation of it, therefore this is the truth. Instead, we, we go out and we investigate independently to see if we can consistently produce re- reproducible results about reality. Right, but that's all based on some assumptions you would have to agree with, right? Uh, yeah, it's, so I have a number of presuppositions that are foundational because there's no other solution. Identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. The fact that while I can't prove that I'm not stuck in the matrix, I have to operate with the reality I experience until somebody shows me a way out. But apart from that, everything else is derived from those foundational presuppositions, which are the same ones that you have to make. The problem is you're adding another one. I don't. I don't see like that. Like you, you just said there. Sorry if I, I misquote. You said you have to believe in the world that you're directly experiences until somebody shows you a way out. I could say the same thing about my belief in God. I have to. Yeah, except that now you now you are adding another thing that you're claiming that you have to believe, and I don't have to believe that until somebody shows me a well, way out. I, I could just say that these laws are rooted in God's nature, and you're adding these things unnecessarily, and I, I have less. Okay, if you if you, you if you say that these things are rooted in God's nature, demonstrate it. Okay, but no, that's not the point, right? When we start it talking about metaphysics on this level, you can't prove that okay. the law of non-contradiction is true and all that, right? Those are just something you... So, so for, let's say, identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. I presuppose them. They continually uh, demonstrate that they are reliable within the reality I experience. However, okay, so. you, ha- you rely on them as well, correct? Yes. And you are saying that the reason they're reliable is because they are rooted in God, right? Yeah. Okay. That is the part that you need to demonstrate. That would require a demonstration. You are going a step further than what is justified by reason. Why, because why don't you have to demonstrate that this... That I'm, not proposing, I'm not proposing that I know what the explanation for the logical absolutes are. You're proposing that, and that's why you have a burden of proof. Okay, that, 
that's fine. Okay, so I, I do believe that there's some evidence of God, but do you acknowledge that like most evidence, including science, is based on induction, not deduction? So it's not absolute certainty. It's something that we. I, that I just I acknowledge mean. that I see no pathway to absolute certainty at all. And yes, right. a lot of it, a lot of it is based on induction and inference. Why, why is the why are okay. you fixated on absolute certainty? I'm curious about I'm not, that. Yeah, yeah, actually, if you go back in the call, Matt was the first one to bring that up. I never brought that up. So no, the no, fact that you no, didn't no, no. say the fact that you didn't say the words doesn't mean you didn't bring it up. Yeah. When you say everybody okay, believes things, when you say that everybody believes things based on faith, and then you talk about what you what you mean by faith and how you're just going to believe something based on faith, what you're actually doing is arguing that in the in, in the absence of absolute certainty, we must still make decisions. And I agree with that. The fact that you didn't say... I disagree, but we'll just move on. Okay, hang on. We disagree on what? Do you think that... Well, you're defining my usage of faith as belief without absolute certainty. I would say faith is belief without evidence. Okay. Okay, belief without evidence. Now it's even worse. Yeah. I don't think so, because... You're wrong. I want to move on from this. You're, You're wrong. Okay. You are you are demonstrably wrong. Yeah. We all have to believe things, whether or not we could possibly be absolutely certain. We have to make decisions about what's real because because we're acting. Okay. So whether or not there's absolute certainty, we have to make up our minds about things. And, they, and, and I, I would hope we would agree that there are at least some things that we can't be absolutely certain about, and yet still have to make decisions. Do, do you right? agree that there's some propositions that you believe that you have absolutely no evidence for? The, the presuppositions that I talked about don't have any foundational right. evidence, but they continue to provide evidence of their reliability. It's like saying, I picked up this pencil and I have no idea, I have no evidence, sorry, that this pen works. But then I start writing with it and now I have evidence for its reliability. Uh, to, yeah. s- to say that this pen it, it works is different from demonstrating that it works. You sound like a religious apologist. I could say that same thing with God. Once you once you pick up God and start using it, you realize that it's so. Please demonstrate so that God. So please, I can show you this <laughs> pen works. Can you show me that God works? Okay. Well, okay. So that's why I kind of wanted to move on from that. I do think that. Are you going to answer the question, or are we done? Well, well, I know the, the responses that you're going to give, so not to your satisfaction. Well, I but, knew what you were going to say before you said it, too, but this is a show, so maybe we should say it. Can you demonstrate God the way I can demonstrate this pen? Uh, no, but the, no, the analogy, no, no, don't the put pen, a butt on it. The, the, no, the no, is the, is the, I swear, okay, don't put a butt on it. The answer is no. So don't pretend that the two are on even footing. When you argue as if they are on even footing, that is dishonest. I think your analogy is flawed, though, because we aren't talking about the pen, talking about the laws of logic. Can you prove that the laws of logic are absolutely true? No. Yeah, I, I can demonstrate that they are consistently reliable and that there's that they seem to be. There's no demonstration of anything that violates them, and any attempt to disprove them would have to assume that they were true in order to disprove them, which sets up a paradox. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I would just say God's more foundational than that, but I know you disagree with that. And And how can you possibly demonstrate that? Well, I'm the same way you do, it's a presupposition, right? No, 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 no. I did not claim that the presupposition was the demonstration. I claim that there is a presupposition and then a demonstration of reliability based on that. All I asked was how can you demonstrate that God is serves as a foundation for those absolutes? Right, yeah, I can't do that. That's okay, that. you okay. can't do that. So why would you believe something that you cannot demonstrate? 
Well, okay, I, I, that's why I wanted to get on to my next point, because I think it can be demonstrated through... I just asked you if you could demonstrate it, and you said no, and now you want to get on to your next well, okay, point, so which... Okay, so not through that specific example, but through another argument. So how many of these arguments are we going to entertain? Because typically people well, lead with one. their best one. Okay, go for it. Okay, all right, sorry, all right. So can I just tell you, like, what I think a god is, and then sure. you can tell me if... Yep. Okay, okay. Um... So I believe that God is a transcendent, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, eternal, uncaused, extremely power and extremely powerful entity that created the universe. Is that something that would qualify as a God for you? Well, I mean, it's your definition of a God, so does it qualify as a God well, for I'm you? I'm saying if I could demonstrate that, would that falsify your position? Falsify my position? What position? So first of all, my, my position is that I am not convinced that a God exists. And my position is not, there is no God. But second of all, you listed off a bunch of things, and I didn't get a chance to write them all down. Okay. But I'm presuming that you have them in front of you in a written form. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to read it again? Read the list one more time. Okay. Transcendent, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, eternal, uncaused, extremely powerful entity that created the universe. Entity or Agent. Um, empty. Okay, so you're not proposing that this God that you're defining is an actual thinking being. Um, well, let's just figure out if this is something that would qualify as a God, and then, like, if it doesn't, then maybe I could add that. Well, I don't, so my concern is not whether or not it would qualify as a God. My concern is, whatever you define, do you have good reason to believe that that's the case? Yeah, so I, I'm saying if I could demonstrate this entity exists, would that make you not be an atheist? That's basically what I'm asking. No. That, okay, so, so that doesn't qualify as something as, as a god. Well, I would be I would be an atheist with regard to your definition of God, but or I, I, I would I would no longer be an atheist with regard to your definition of God, but I would still be a, an atheist an atheist with regard to every other god that's been proposed. Like, like, if I could prove that this being exists, would you, like, still have the show? Oh, you, you know just said like, you just said being. I thought we said it wasn't a being. Uh, entity. Sorry. Well, okay, so you've got a bunch of characteristics. One of them is timeless, right? Yeah. Yeah. So existence is necessarily temporal. What do you say about something that exists for zero seconds? Well, I would say it exists eternally. So. so so, something that exists for no time exists eternally? Well, I, I don't mean timeless in that context. I just mean timeless in the sense that it's apart from time. It's not within our... What reason do we have to think that anything could be apart from time? Okay, because we know that the universe began, and we know that it can't begin from nothing, so we know that something has to exist apart from it. So we don't know any of those things. Okay, well, we can debate that because I have good reasons for all those things. Yeah, the, the problem here is this. We can't explore beyond the Planck time. And when we talk about time, we're talking about time in our local presentation of the universe. We don't have any notion at all about whether or not time uh, is even a, a, co a sensible concept prior to uh, the instantaneous after uh, Big Bang cosmology, assuming that's correct. Well, we have four good reasons to believe that the universe began and no good reasons to believe it 
We have a good reason to believe that our current local universe had an origin, but that's independent right. of yeah. whether or not the cosmos or a right. multiverse. But that's that's or, the context I was using it beside. Um, we have four good reasons to think that the cosmos began and no good reasons to believe it to be eternal, so I, can, I regard that probably I, I have, I have no good reason to think that the cosmos isn't, in fact, in, eternal, that there has never been a time when the cosmos didn't exist. Okay, but the, that's not... What we're, what we're talking about is no beginning, not a first moment in time. I, I have no reason to think that it is impossible that the cosmos has is not eternal. How do you demonstrate th- that the cosmos had a beginning? Okay, all right. So this is what I want to do, right? So, so like I said, it's not, it's not like, right, we're not talking about absolute certainty. We're talking about most likely true. So if I can show the premise to be more likely true than not, then we can move on and say that the premise is more likely true than not. So I would say reasons why we should believe um, the universe. No, the cosmos. cosmos began. Sorry, yes, yes. The cosmos began um, would be the fact that it's expanding. You don't know that. I'm talking about the cosmos, not our local universe. Well, we know our local universe is expanding, and that's enough for the argument. That does, no, that's not enough for the I'm argument. expanding. That doesn't mean the Earth is expanding. The fact that our local universe is expanding, actually, I'm, I'm, I've lost 30 pounds, so I'm no longer expanding that way, but uh, the issue here is about the cosmos. And, and the funny right, thing... I, I agree, but here, my, my argument just needs the universe to be expanding. Because I don't care. That doesn't address the cosmos. No, I'll, I'll explain why, because something expanding for an infinite amount of time will lead to contradictions. Except that our universe hasn't been expanding for an infinite amount of time. Our universe has been expanding for 13.7 billion years, and the cosmos may or may not be expanding. You have no way to evaluate that, or for how long, or if time even applies to the cosmos. Okay, but we know that the expansion is speeding up, right? No, you no. don't know anything about... What do you know about the cosmos? The only thing you can evaluate is this local universe. You can't, you can't evaluate the container for this local universe, whether it's a multiverse, whether there's some other cosmos, you know, you don't know anything about it. You don't even know if it exists. I don't know if what exists. The cosmos. Maybe, maybe our local universe is in fact all there is, or maybe it's expanding in something else that you don't have any way to investigate. Right. Okay. Yeah, I just like under like when we use cosmos, I'm just talking about all of whatever exists. If that's just uh, our universe, yes, the cosmos. The cosmos is what we we typically define cosmos is all that exists. But you don't know what okay. exists beyond our universe, do you? Well, I have good reasons to think that nothing does other than something that caused the universe to begin. Okay, so so now, despite the fact that you can't explore beyond our universe, you think that you have good reasons to not only conclude that something other than the universe exists, but that the only thing other than the universe that exists is the thing that created it. Okay, so I'm making the argument that the cosmos began, right? How do do you demonstrate that? Because I have no way to explore, explore the cosmos or its origins or determine if it had origins. Okay, so I'll lay out the four arguments, like, just in ten seconds, and then you can explain what's wrong with them. Okay. So, like I said, the expansion rate of the universe, which you talked about, the... Um, that doesn't tell me anything about the cosmos? Go ahead. Yeah, well, we can... Okay. Um, uh, board goose Lankin theorem... That has nothing to do with the cosmos? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Well, it does. And the impossibility of infinites that leads to contradictions. So, That's three. Yeah. 
Uh, which, by the way, I don't, I don't see any demonstration that, that the infinite is impossible, especially if you're going to be making an argument for something infinite. But it exists outside of time, so there isn't the kind of... It, uh, it exists outside of... It exists outside... You, you, your, your infinite exists outside of time in, within our local universe. That doesn't tell me anything about the cosmos or a multiverse. And by the way, you only gave three, not four. Well, no, I'm saying that a, a multiverse or anything that exists apart from our local regime of space that we call the universe would have to, would, would be, wouldn't be, it would have to have space, right? No. How did you determine that? Well, what, you're saying that a multiverse could exist, but it's immaterial? I don't... I, I don't know what the multiverse can or can't be. I'm wondering how you'd made this determination. How did I make this determination? Because, well, if you're going to say that the multiverse is just something that's immaterial, then I just said it's a god, then I don't... Well, see, I mean, the multiverse is a hypothesis about a, a broader aspect of the cosmos whereby which universes might be generated, and our, our local universe would be just one of potentially many. But, what, right, but, we, don't necessarily, but we don't necessarily yeah. know anything about any of those uh, at all. I mean, we don't have any ability to explore them. Right. Well, we have no evidence of it, and I think four good reasons to think that it doesn't exist. Well, you've only given but, three. That's why, like, like, physicists like Vilenkin will say that we, we just we just we almost certainly know that the universe began, and there's no way. To yes, get he's talking. It. He's talking so, about the universe, and we're talking about the cosmos. No, no, no. He's he, talking about all the cos. He's talking about all the cosmos. If you read his book, the Many Worlds, he, talk, he specifically says that we know beyond a reasonable doubt that, that the cosmos began, that there was a beginning there. Okay. So I, I would consider that premise more likely true than not. That Okay, that so, so let's say for began. a second that I conceded that the cosmos had a beginning. I'm not doing that, but let's say that I did. Okay. How does that get us to, therefore, there's a God outside the cosmos? Okay, so do you want me to read the quote really quick or no? Are you good? Uh, we're almost out of time. Oh, okay. Okay. So, well, we would say that something can't uh, begin without a cause. And I don't know that. Cause would yeah. I don't know that. Causality, ca causality is temporal, and our only ability to evaluate causality is within the temporal uh, dynamic of our, our universe. We don't know how time might operate, or what something else might be that we might call like time or quasi time or whatever. Well, so you're saying it's rational to believe that it could just pop into existence. No, nothing, no, I'm, nothing, I'm not saying it's rational to believe it could pop into existence. I'm saying that the, the claim that it couldn't has not been demonstrated. Well, you have to be saying that the position that it, it can pop into existence out of nothing by nothing is more rational than the idea that it can. No, because no. I'm not talking about nothing. I'm talking about cosmos. I have no, I, no problem with the idea that when well, physics, when, when physics, right? no, we're not. I've never spoken about nothing until this point in the conversation. No, no, no. If, if my premise holds true of it all beginning, then before that there was nothing. That's why, like, I'm no, yeah, that's I'm no, that, that I, I'm not necessarily buying that. Plus, this this idea, and I'll be I'll be sitting down with Lawrence Krauss in June uh, in Toronto, and I'm and I'm what? I have tickets to that. Cool. So we'll be able to talk about this universe from nothing because one of the things is that when physicists talk about nothing, they're talking about a zero energy state, not nothing as in ex nihilo, no thing. I've never, right, right, I've, I've never, and, and I'm going to borrow from Tracy here. 
That wasn't me. Or was it? I don't know. Get, nope. Anyway, I'm going to borrow from Tracy here. I see nothing isn't something you could act upon or do anything to. I don't see how it, even if, if there was a God that could from, from nothing produce something. You, you can't interact. You can't act upon nothing. I've never had a nothing to investigate. And I don't see any problem with the idea that there never has been nothing. Okay. So, yeah, I just find the idea that it could literally come from absolutely nothing to be a bit absurd. Well, um, that's because you're assuming that there's a nothing that something could act on. Maybe if you dump that and start to recognize that maybe there's the possibility that there's never not, that there's never been a nothing, that there couldn't be a nothing, that be nothing is itself a contradiction. Then maybe well, you'd see. No, passes. I think that the first premise establishes that the Borgruth Blanken theorem, the impossibility of infinite, all that, the Lankin quote, all that would show that what we're talking about is absolutely nothing. I, I don't accept that it gets us yeah. to the idea that behind it all is absolutely nothing, but if it does, that also precludes a god. That it, that no, it, well, no, nothing that is made up of any no, sort of, like... Is, is an entity something? Yeah, but it exists apart from matter. It's immaterial. I, I, don't, right? I, I don't... Now we're back to special pleading. No, well, no, because we're... <laughs> You're talking about like quantum quantum fields and all that. By that, no, actually, I wasn't. Nothing, we're right? we're not, and you're not either. I'm not sure I understand. So so here's the situation: we can't explore the origins of our universe, and we can't explore any portion of a cosmos, whether it exists or not, beyond our universe. So at best, right. at best, we can engage in supposition. Supposition. Yeah. So we we look at this and say, I just can't believe that something could possibly come from nothing. What the hell is that? But I can't believe that something could come from nothing. But I'm quite comfortable believing that there's something magical, something transcendent, timeless, uh, in, immaterial, immaterial entity that caused something to come from nothing. And and the only way you can get there is by committing an argument from ignorance fallacy of saying, I don't know what it could be the explanation for the origins, but if I define something and say it doesn't, it's, it's immaterial, it's timeless, it's all of these things, if I define this thing and claim that it is sufficient to bring about a universe, well, then I've solved the problem. And my response to that is, no, you haven't. Hello? Oh, uh, okay, thank you. Sure. On that note, we have... Uh, I'm, I'm wondering when the destroying is supposed to happen. Yeah. Because he said he was going to destroy us uh, in, in the chat. I so. guess. Um, the thing is, we look at the universe, we can't get beyond the Planck time. We're talking about time as, as we understand it began with our universe, under the best models. I'm not necessarily convinced that that's the case. But I'm, I'm, I'm certainly willing to accept that time, as we understand it, is contained is, is a function of our universe. Yeah. Matter in motion. That tells me nothing about what might be on our universe. That there might be other universes with other times. That there might not be other universes. That there might be a cosmos that has its own thing that we might call time, or 
that time might not exist, or that there's nothing like along those lines. So we have this big problem. We don't have an explanation for why there's something rather than nothing. Yeah, that's huge. And for a species that thrives on going out and finding the answers, to think about us here in the 21st century when we've got computers and instant communication and we know so much and we know we've gotten past this, well, we've supposedly gotten past this flat earth idea, even though it's getting a resurgence from some <laughs> folks. But, you know, we used to think that the, that the sun went around the earth and now we know that that's better and we can send out uh, probes and space vessels and we can explore and we learn more. And then we, we get down to the very, very small and we learn more about the atoms. Our fear of not knowing the answer encourages us to accept answers before they are sufficiently justified. That's how we came to think that lightning bolts came from the gods before we understood electricity. That's how we came to think that dancing around and spreading a chicken's blood around will heal somebody or make it rain. Or lamb's blood on the doorpost will keep your firstborn from yeah. dying. <laughs> Getting to the point where you acknowledge that you don't have sufficient evidence to justify a particular conclusion is the beginning of finding the correct answer rather than just accepting whatever answer comes along. And I get it. It is, when you look at this, you're like, I just can't believe this could have all come from nothing. And then you have physicists who are saying it did. And yet when they talk about nothing, they don't mean nothing in the same way that you do. And then you have other physicists say that ultimately we can't have an infinite regress. We can't have an infinite regress. And yet, what are they proposing as a solution? Something that is eternal, which is just another word for infinite. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Infinite and eternal are different because eternal is outside of time. It's not bound by time. Cool. How can you demonstrate that something can in fact exist with no ties to time? when existence is necessarily temporal. Something that exists for zero seconds isn't eternal. Because if it is, then the rainbow-colored uniform that farts frosted cupcakes is eternal. It's existent for zero seconds. It's eternal. And you can't prove that it's not. And by the way, you atheists are just proposing that the universe popped into existence. No, I'm not proposing to have any explanation for the origin of the universe. What I'm saying is, the people who are running around claiming to believe that a God exists haven't made their burden of proof, haven't made the case sufficient to convince me. And if you're going to call in, as he did, and I understand why you're convinced of this, but he wasn't arguing for the God, any God, that the overwhelming majority of people believe in. This is the most damning thing about theism. There are people sitting out in the pews in church every Sunday who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, came down as atonement for their sins, and that their acceptance of this, by God's grace, will get them to a better afterlife. There are people who believe that Muhammad was the last prophet of God who revealed the most important truths to develop the religion of Islam. There are people who believe that the Zenu, the ancient warrior, uh, threw people into volcanoes and really hates psychiatrists. There are people who have beliefs about a God. And yet, people will call in and say, oh, well, what I mean by God is something that is timeless, eternal, blah, blah, blah. Describing qualities that are not accurately understood 
that have all sorts of problems that are beyond human comprehension. You cannot possibly comprehend eternity properly. You can at best comprehend an abstraction of this. When I was a believer, the God that I, that I believed in was as real as the trees outside, which is why I'm happier to have people call the show to say, look at the trees, because at least they're making a teleological argument. At least they are engaged in something that ties to what people ultimately believe. The caller that just called in doesn't tie to anything that anybody really believes unless we strip away everything tied to every religion. And then what you have is an abstraction that you can't demonstrate, that you can't understand, and yet you're claiming is more probable than not. Probability is a calculation, and it is based on prior evidence. How many other universes are you able to explore? None. How many cosmoses are you able to explore? None, unless the universe and the cosmos are synonymous, which we don't know. How many gods can you demonstrate by his own admission? None. You want to talk about verbal and mental masturbation? Professional apologists desperately seeking to justify their unjustified and unjustifiable, potentially, beliefs are engaged in the most inane, twisting, oh, it must be this because we can't think of anything else, fallacy. It must be this because you can't prove the other one wrong, fallacy. Well, it must be this because based on what we understand, this isn't possible, fallacy. What you understand is not equivalent to what is or isn't possible or impossible. Possibility and impossibility need to be demonstrated, and the rest of it is just talking out of your ass. Happy Easter. We'll see you next week. Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.